This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to On the Bench. This is Brendan Sinone, joined today by Chris Nee, Josh Newberg. I feel like I don't have to introduce you guys that way anymore because you're almost always joining me, but, you know, habit and whatnot. First-time listeners. There are. We're, our audience is growing rapidly by... So they deserve COVID. to know who I am. And who Chris is. Yeah. It's all about Josh. <laughs> I actually had... What was that? I touched something. It's what? all good. <laughs> <laughs> what, what device do you have that possibly can make that noise you it know sounds what? like the beep that the thing that uh you've fallen and you can't get up man. <laughs> i mean just i'm just saying that that's i touched really what popped just, in my head let's just keep it keep it going. i'm like did an old lady just come in my front door did my mother arrive at the house and just fall down what the hell happened i fall out i can't get up uh like josh is old and plays pickleball so it is starting to kind of all make sense it's tied together after his 50th birthday it's all downhill mm-hmm. anyways we have a fair amount to get to, fairly newsy day on, uh, well, I guess Sunday, after we had our scrimmage recap, which was in-depth and extensive and rapid reaction and whatever Josh named it, we've gotten a little bit more info, some injuries to talk about, and then Warren Thompson apology, recruiting news. So we, we have all sorts of things to get to. I want to just get this out of the way. Let's talk about Warren Thompson's apology letter that he put out on Sunday evening, I believe. Josh, I'm going to throw this to you because you wrote about it. seems like we're kind of putting a bow on this whole ordeal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it came to a conclusion. When we potted on Saturday night after the scrimmage, I said that Warren Thompson was not participating in the scrimmage, but he was still with the program. And then on the, on the message board, I think, what was it, Monday on Knowles 24-7, Monday morning or Sunday morning, I don't even know, the days all run together now, but I had said that um, Warren Thompson was, was weighing out his options, which were several. Um, one of which was patching things up with coach Norvell and the team and moving forward. Um, that's ended up what happening. Warren Thompson did this by posting a public apology. Um, he since deleted all of his social media, so he didn't necessarily delete the apology. He just deleted all of his social media. So it's not there. Probably, probably not the worst idea. (laughs) Might not be as the season gets closer, but I did get kind of the meat and potatoes paragraph of the apology here. So let me just read it. Quote, with all the fear in the world, the confusion and concern regarding this matter may have clouded judgment on this arising problem in this country. My apologies on comments earlier this week that did not accurately depict my feelings toward this program and its leadership. Um. Mike Norvell had not communicated with Thompson over the weekend, but when you asked him, Brendan, on Monday, if he had. Well, well real quick, I didn't ask him. I forgot. Or it wasn't Monday. I'm sorry. Uh, but 90% sure when we read Warren's first letter, live reaction, Josh had asked, he's like, do you think Warren wrote that letter? And I didn't want to be mean, but like, no. I oh, didn't. yeah. And neither of you guys wanted to give that take the time of day. I do remember that. I mean, I got like, you guys can't see this that are listening, but we record this over Zoom and I got like a death stare by both of you. Now go ahead. As confident as I was that he didn't write the first one and didn't necessarily want to say it at the time, I'm confident enough to say now I'm about 100% sure that he did not write the second letter and probably someone from FSU helped him formulate that second one if I had to guess. Fair? Uh, I think somebody in his corner. There's a couple people that... uh, that Warren's got that may not be that's not the big takeaway that's just kind of a sidebar there but yeah I I think yeah at the end of the day somebody did Chris uh, Mike Norvell was asked about Warren Thompson on Monday he ends up saying he loves Warren Thompson and uh, maybe you can fill us in what else Norvell said and, and your thoughts on that 
Uh, he said that he's part of the program, that they're moving forward together, that he's glad that they're together. He spoke of the stress on the student athlete and everybody currently in the current climate and uh, understanding those challenges. He said they had a good conversation. Very, I think it was very good conversation in the last couple of days. I believe that was Sunday into Monday. Um, he said Warren had approached him. They talked it out. They were in good standing. Um, you know, just going back to what Josh laid out, the options, I think that for Warren, you know, there were essentially three. There was, you know, May Koopa and come back and play. And, you know, on the flip side of that, Mike Norvell did some serious adulting yesterday. And wait, wait, wait. I'm sorry, Chris. Do we think it's Mia Koopa? It's a Mia Koopa, right? I could be wrong. I've been awake for 15 minutes, so give me a break on the Yeah, I was going to say, I think Chris might still be sleeping. Yeah, usually I am. Thank you. (laughs) Some some people in this relationship like to sleep. Um, but Mike Norvell did some serious adulting yesterday and acted like the bigger person, which is a good thing. You want to see your head coach do that. I think behind closed doors, his approach to the situation was different than the public view of the approach to the situation. But that's probably how he should conduct himself and how he should handle it. And I think it's a good thing. You know, the whole situation, I think, taught us a good lesson that there are some players that are foxhole buddies with the head coach already, despite him only being here eight months. And they just weren't here for – dealing with this in a public forum like Warren Thompson wanted to. And I think Warren understood that. And I think the option of coming back and playing on a team where he is starting to carve out the possibility of having some of his own playing time is a much better idea than opting out and sitting out for a year or transferring, because I don't think idle hands are a good thing for Warren Thompson. I think Warren Thompson's a guy who, if he does what he needs to do on the field and carves out playing time and he plays, things are going to go much smoother for him than the whole when he lives in his head and he's away from the game of football type thing, which is why he got himself in trouble with this situation. I don't think he was out of line for having concerns. I think he was out of line for how he delivered his concerns on that. And he essentially painted a picture as though this program had gone rogue and wasn't doing anything in the correct manner. With that in mind, I want to go off of Chris's points. These are my final thoughts. And I think we're kind of aligned on it. Uh, to me, Warren's concerns were justified. I think the going public part of it uh, created some internal angst. But more so than that, I think what Norvell's uh, frustration was, and we saw that immediately, got like a pretty raw reaction from him when he responded to Warren's statement on, uh, on what was it, Wednesday or Thursday? And all the Thursday. days are blurred together on Thursday morning. We got Norvell almost immediately after that. I think his response and his frustration was not just that Warren went public with it, but combined with the fact that Norvell legitimately believed he addressed Warren's concerns the day before. I think that was the issue. It wasn't just that Warren said something. It's that Warren had talked to him and spilled over into something that became another national story where it appeared that Mike Norvell didn't have great control of his team. So I, I think that was part of the frustration. I think Warren's justified for feeling, I mean, you're allowed to feel unsafe. You're allowed to feel any kind of way you want to feel, and you're allowed to express that the way you want to. I think it could have been handled more productively. I think the majority of the team believes it could have been handled more productively. Uh, It was interesting to see how different Mike Norvell's response was to this versus the the Marvin Wilson situation we've seen when Mike Norvell feels like he's in the wrong. He's willing to apologize. He's willing to put hat in hand and say, I messed up. This didn't come off that way. He, as Chris said, acted maturely on Monday when he spoke, but behind closed doors, he was mad. He was angry. He felt betrayed is my understanding by a couple of his players. So I think ultimately this can maybe serve as something where you tighten up communication and and make it a little bit better. And maybe the other takeaway is that the protocols do need to be reflected on a little bit for the COVID-19 testing. And that was the main concern to begin with. It turned more into should Warren have said this or that, or should handle it this way. I do think that this will take the program to reflect a little bit more on the testing protocols to make sure players are understanding what they are, that they know how other players are participating in the protocol system. And that ultimately is what you want is player safety. So those are my main takeaways from this. Do you guys have anything to add? Mm, I think the team dynamics were interesting just to watch Mm -hmm. Um, behind the scenes. We kind of knew that this was bubbling. We didn't know that it was going to bubble to the surface that day. 
but we also knew that there was other players that seemed like when this happened, they were going to go. We didn't know it was necessarily going to be Warren Thompson leading the charge, but we thought there was going to be more players going in that direction. Right. And, and even some of the names that we had been given, they ended up tweeting the other, you know, saying that this is a distraction. And so I think in a way the team may have actually galvanized under this in terms of like enough with the BS, let's just keep moving forward. Like they, they weren't having it. The, the response to the Marv stuff was different than this. And I think some of that is the fact that preseason is going on. It's about football in a large way. And it's not True. shut up and play football by any stretch, but it's a matter of the focus is on one thing. And this took the focus away from that. And this is something that didn't need to be what it became, I think, is ultimately what a lot of players rested upon. I'm sure there were some that were definitely in Warren's camp who didn't speak up, but they didn't speak up because they understood that there was another way of going about doing this. Time and place for everything. Yeah, I think that's a big thing. It's like Warren's concerns on aren't, aren't unfounded. It was more the way and the timing Correct. that was handled. And, and Yeah, so time and place for everything. It was different than the Marv situation. I think we're all kind of in agreement there. Warren Thompson is going to be with the team moving forward. I think that's really important for the wide receiver depth. I think it's important for maybe Mike Norvell to kind of handle the situation the way he did and, and and all's well that ends well type of deal. Josh, you know what else will end well? What's that, Brendan? Your financial outlook. If you take the time to reach out to a credible, experienced financial advisor like Daniel Garland of Evershore Financial. Daniel Garland of Evershore Financial? You mean a former Knoll within a prestigious firm can help out fellow Knolls with some of the most important planning that they'll do in their lives? Please, Brennan, tell us more. Right now, we're experiencing some of the most difficult economic circumstances of all time. In times like these, it's important to have a financial plan for your finances. Dan Garland and Greg Abdallah are financial professionals and diehard Seminoles. As professionals with specialties in current financial position analysis, investments, retirement planning, risk management, and life insurance, you can get a comprehensive financial plan to help guide you to your long-term goals. Dan and Greg are FINRA-registered financial professionals with Evershore Financial Group. With four offices in Florida and clients all over the country, you know you can get individualized help from someone who cares. Call Dan today at 321-304-4026 for a no-obligation consultation. One more time, that's 321-304-4026. Separate from the financial plan and our role as financial planner, we may recommend the purchase of specific investment or insurance products or accounts. These product recommendations are not part of the financial plan and you are under no obligation to follow them. Dan Garland and Greg Abdallah are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Securing Financial Services, Inc. Securities and investment advisory services offered through Securing Financial Services, Inc., member of FINRA SIPC. Evershore Financial Group is independently owned and operated. 750 North Maitland Avenue, Maitland, Florida, 32751. And we're back. Um, Monday was a, a quite a newsy day, as Chris Nee predicted in our group chat. He said, get ready. It could be, could be some news dropping on Monday morning because the team had Sunday off after their Saturday scrimmage. And just as Nee suspected, Coach Norvell came to his press conference. And in his opening statement, he let us know that there was two rather serious injuries. Um, one was to tight end transfer Jordan Wilson. Um, He's going to be out for the year with an Achilles injury. And the other bit of news was Chubba Purdy, freshman quarterback, is down and looks like a broken collarbone, Norvell said, several weeks. Brendan, what were your thoughts on that? Can we give ourselves a pat on the back? We had those stories out almost instantly. took competitors about 30 minutes. Can we do that? Or is that that braggy? Is that braggy? That's a humble brag if I've ever heard one. Oh, I hurt my arm trying to pat my back so so heavily there. Yeah, so let's start we were prepared for that, which is always good to see that you get you get information and you also know that information is correct and you aren't in such a rush to run to the interwebs and just yell something that it's wrong and then you don't act like you ever said it. Yeah, that's not what we try to do at Knowles 24-7. We try to be responsible and gather information and wait for confirmation journalism. Let's start off with Chubba Purdy. That is the name I think that gains the traction for Florida State fans because kind of the the golden boy, right? Four-star quarterback, the, the crown jewel of Mike Norvell's first recruiting class at Florida State. Uh, apparently, a little more information comes out after Mike Norvell said that Chubba would be 
out for at least several weeks is what it sounds like. His mom put on Facebook yesterday that it was a broken collarbone. We were told initially that it was going to be on his left uh, left arm, left shoulder. So the good news, not his throwing arm. That was confirmed. She put out a picture of him in a sling too. It is indeed his left arm. It happened in the scrimmage. There was a picture of him rushing for a touchdown. That was really early in the scrimmage in a goal line situation. My understanding is that the injury happened on the very next play. It was a two-point conversion. And uh, and Chubba tried to improvise, which he's so well known for doing in the in the Arizona in the Phoenix area of Arizona, like that's kind of one of his calling cards was that he improvises, learned at the college level that sometimes you just got to throw the ball away. And unfortunately it, it cost him a, a broken bone and, and a significant amount of time that he'll be missing. Josh, your initial reaction to this, how do you think this impacts Florida State's quarterback situation? Because there are a lot of people who are part of the Purdy High that, that wanted to see the freshman this season. Yeah, there were, and there and there should be. It's, he's an exciting uh, prospect moving forward, but I didn't think he was going to start the season for Florida State. Um, unfortunately, this really hurts because, you know, he wasn't here. He wasn't an early enrollee, so he wasn't here in the spring for those three practices that FSU got in. Um, it's not ideal, but I don't think it rules him out for the for 2020. Um, I still think those that want to see Chubba Purdy in 2020 will get their chance at some point, just not early in the season. Yeah, and I, I think the thing with this whole situation is how long does it take for the recovery? You know, we, I, I think a lot of people say three to six weeks, six to eight weeks is kind of the two time frames. Um, you know, let, let's average those out. So basically five weeks or so, that puts us just after that game. So obviously it doesn't fit in there. So for him, as far as Georgia Tech, for him right now, it's going to be take mental reps and see how much you can learn, which he's been doing with the Zooms and whatnot leading up to preseason camp. But you just can't replace actually repping it in real life. And I think that will hinder him a bit. But I also think that with the way the season lays out, there's still an opportunity for him to say he's back by late September as far as taking practice reps. Late October, you know, would you feel comfortable with him if he's got another month under his belt of taking actual reps in practice? I think that's kind of where we're sitting with this. I think the reps that you mentioned, Chris, are the most significant part of the injury in the context of playing the first couple games of the season. No, I don't think Chubba Purdy was likely to go and be a big factor. We've been all adamant in thinking that James Blackman was going to be quarterback one to start the year. Then you kind of go from there. But of all the quarterbacks on the roster, I think it's fair to say that Chubba was going to benefit the most from the reps that he's been having so far in camp, but then like the next few weeks as well. My understanding was that he was the second quarterback to come out uh, and, and take a snap on Saturday during the scrimmage. So it sounded like he was number two behind James Blackman. So some significance there in terms of you know, yeah. upside and sub packages. So that's the impact in my mind. So Brendan, tell me, Mm-hmm. Let's say James Blackman goes down, even maybe before the Georgia Tech game. What's the oh, don't uh, you don't you put that hex on me? <laughs> what are we looking at? Well, I mean, seriously, like what are we looking at? It back shoulder right throw vertical Tate Rodemaker. Yeah, just, that, just that's look, what we're Tate, looking at. Uh, you're just going for the big play offense at that point. Uh, Tate Rodemaker and James Blackman, from my understanding were the two main quarterbacks in practice. I was not able to get much intel on Jordan Travis. I frankly don't even know if he scrimmaged or not. I don't have full confirmation on that. So, um, yeah, your your options are thin. I think you have to start looking at break in case of emergency options. Uh, do you move wide director wi- back to – We used to have the wild cam. Who would be the new wild? Who, so who so I was talking about this with Josh earlier today. Wild rector? We like the but, wild rector. Well, here's the issue with the wild rector, and we'll get into the whole Jordan Wilson thing. <laughs> Wyatt all of a sudden steps into being a really important piece in Florida State's offense because they like using two tight ends. So um, I don't know if you get the, the Wyatt cat. DJ Matthews, if he is healthy and – cleared from COVID and with the team. All right. The other bit of news. No way. Hey, the other well, quarterback no. options would be Travis J. I would think. And yeah. Ja'Kai Douglas. I mean, but I understand the options aren't great, but that's kind of the point. Yeah. Ja'Kai Douglas. I did forget that he played high school quarterback. He, Not, throw a he, ton. he really threw it, but yeah. he did take snaps and he, he gained a lot of yards from scrimmage, but mainly through running his legs. Yeah. There were select few criticizing the fact that, uh, Norvell opts to make his new coming quarterbacks live. I have thoughts and on that. This. Led to this injury, 
I think that's a foolish concept um, in the sense of thinking it led to the injury. Injuries happen. I think you have to make your guys live. If you're going to potentially put them in a game situation, you got to make them live a game situation before they go in it. And the college game is so sped up for those guys compared to what they're used to that you have to put them in that situation. And for a guy like Chubba, truthfully, I think it allows him to showcase his skills even better by being, you know, allowed contact. It's just, it's bad luck. It's not a matter of endangerment. And he's done it, I believe, at every stop along the way. And it's been a consistent belief of his as a quarterback coach and offensive mind. I, I just think it's bad luck. I don't think it's something you criticize as far as a decision to do so. I'm with you, Chris. It's a calculated risk. You yeah. you you weigh risk versus reward. But, I mean, the play Chubba apparently got hurt on was him trying to do something that he could have gotten away with at the high school level and learned not – unfortunately, he learned the hard way. Uh, let's say he doesn't get injured. That would have been a learning experience to be like, you can't run around like that, and it's just a two-point conversion. Just throw it away at this point. Yeah. So, so that's the kind of things that you need to work through if you're expecting him to play this season. And the only way you really figure that out is if there's live contact. So yeah, I'm with you, Chris. I don't, I don't fault Mike Norvell for – taking that approach, especially the first scrimmage. Like maybe if it's a scrimmage before the season starts, you're a little different in how you handle it. But the very first one, you take those calculator risks. It is bad luck. And it's been a lot of bad luck for Mike Norvell so far in in his tenure. And let's move on to the other bit of bad luck. And that's Jordan Wilson tearing his Achilles tendon out for the season. He was the UCLA UCLA graduate transfer at tight end, an important offseason addition to Mike Norvell for a few reasons. But mainly, Chris, the significance of of how FSU uses its tight ends. He was supposed to be the number two, the blocker, the physical guy. That, that's a big loss, right? And I don't know what the depth chart looks like now, but, but I think it creates a pretty sizable gap at a position that didn't have a whole lot going for it. Yeah, I mean, he, he was a blocker. He knew how to do it. He understands the nuances of the position. Chris Thompson, tight ends coach, spoke with us yesterday, and he brought up that very fact that Jordan Wilson just had that understanding of what they were asking guys to do. He's a more natural blocker than a guy like Cam McDonald, and he's obviously far more experienced than anybody that was below him on that depth chart at tight end position. you got a, a quarterback moving over tight end, wide rector. You've got Carter Boat, right, a freshman. You've got the walk-on, uh, Preston Daniel, correct? That's his name. Yes. Um, so, you know, you're, you're dealing with a room that's super young in a position where they'd like to put far more emphasis and been placed on it in the past at this program, at least recently. And they're kind of in a tough pickle because they don't have a bridge guy, which Jordan Wilson was so much of a bridge guy. He can still provide leadership, obviously, with the injury. And I think he will based on what we've heard of how he is, who he is, how he conducts himself, how he deals with the other guys in that room. But there's a huge difference between leadership on the field in real time versus talking to a guy, sending a text message and stuff like that. It's just it's not something you can replicate in a situation when you're not out there you know, taking the bullets alongside your teammates. So it just stinks. You know, Jordan's a guy who a little bit I dealt with him when he transferred, came off as a really, you know, solid dude in the sense of Mm -hmm. he just wanted to be here, wanted to play football. He wanted to be a leader, but he also wanted to be a good soldier that fell in line with his new teammates. He understood he was entering a new surrounding. And, you know, I think Wyatt Rector yesterday spoke a good bit about how he'd been a great teammate. He'd been really, really good at helping them. Mm-hmm. You know, working with him, him and Cam both had been good at leading that room, and they lose that now, and it just stinks. I know he wants to um, pursue a six-year hardship because he missed his first year at UCLA due to injury, so he doesn't have that redshirt year available to him, and I believe they're going to allow him to pursue that, but it just it stung. And I don't even think he did it in the scrimmage. I think it actually happened prior to the scrimmage. I think it may have happened in prior practice. That's correct. Yeah, it was not Norvell did. Norvell did say that they were – in the process of filing. Correct. For the, hard, for the hardship. Yeah, like they were definitely going to do that. Just now, this popped up on the Twitter feed, uh-huh. Oklahoma tight end. No, don't worry, guys. I know you're getting, you're getting flashbacks there from last week. <laughs> Warren Thompson's Twitter is deleted. Oklahoma tight end Grant Calcetera. Calcetera has entered the transfer portal. He's someone who retired from football because of concussions last year, I believe it was. He is now back. He's entered his name in the transfer portal and 2018, he had about 350 receiving yards. So, you know, maybe, maybe you start looking at some options if you can get a waiver to get another scholarship free for the season. But I don't know if that would be until September. So maybe that timing would work out, which is going to bring me to my next point. 
And that is when Jordan Wilson went down. The first thing I thought of other than it sucks for him, because I had the similar thought as Chris, I liked my interaction with Jordan. He seemed like a nice, mature young man and, and was about his business and felt bad for him. The next thought was uh, that really depletes depth at a position that you couldn't take a whole lot of losses on. And then the next thought was, man, they, they really allocated a, a scholarship to Jordan Wilson when they didn't have a whole lot more room to add help at other positions at that point through the transfer portal. Josh, did that come across your mind? Because I know you covered the transfer portal as close as anyone. Uh, they, they put a lot of eggs in the Jordan Wilson basket and, and trying to fix a tight end position. Yeah, I, at first, you know, I didn't have Jordan Wilson in my top 40 when we did our list. Um, I just didn't see him as a very impactful type player. But his significance this offseason really can't be understated. We were on Jordan Wilson watch for much of the pandemic just to see if he was going to make it to campus. Um, and the reason for that was, you know, we were told all along that Florida State had limited scholarships for transfers and their ability to take them. They took, what was it? It ended up being eight, Chris, was the total number? Well, I think it was technically nine, but Cornell, nine. obviously, that didn't right. work out, so it became eight. So the last one to make it on campus was Jordan Wilson. And until he made it to campus, that scholarship wasn't used. That's kind of how the transfer thing works. Um, but we were being told, you know, a, a, a player would enter the transfer portal from another program. And every time that player would enter the portal – we were being told that, you know, hey, FSU, we don't have room. We don't have room. We don't have room. And at some point, I think in like March or April, I was kind of told to watch Jordan Wilson. That was the, probably going to be the last transfer to make it to campus. And if he didn't make it to campus, then that would mean they did have another scholarship. Um, I think, Chris, how many times do you think you checked in with Jordan Wilson? Uh, I mean, between like <laughs> – before he committed to when he actually no, enrolled from like throughout the pandemic and stuff to see if he was going oh, to campus like weekly. Oh, yeah. All right. I mean, I, yes. Yeah. yeah was, you were wearing him out. So we followed him very closely just to know whether or not FSU would have uh, a, a free scholarship. And pretty much once Jordan Wilson hit campus, we almost knew that we didn't have to follow the transfer market anymore to a degree because we knew they were full. So this was just devastating in terms of the fact that, you know, he came in and used this spot and unfortunately didn't even get to participate in a single game. Um, so. Especially because hurts. those, those position or the, we, we had a reason to believe that that scholarship could have been allocated to an offensive tackle transfer. And well, anybody that went into the portal, like whether it was a running back or a tackle or right. anything like over the last, you know, when it got down to like May and June, we knew they pretty pretty much didn't have a spot remaining. Mm -hmm. And I know they can file a waiver. I'll check on it. I was being told for the Manny Rogers deal, this was before even, that the earliest they would find out on Manny Rogers would be sometime in September. To, Whether to they got a scholarship. They had a scholarship back. Okay. So it, it was almost a wash. Um, I don't know if this will change things. I'll, I'll start looking into it. Yeah, I, I, think, uh, I think we have to look at how they try to replenish. I mean, even just think about the depth with guys – opting out with COVID and I mean, you're already down four or five scholarship players before the season even starts. It's mm -hmm. uh, not ideal. And normally maybe you say, Hey, it's too late to take on a transfer, but these aren't, these aren't normal times. Yeah. Nope. No. And you can, at this point you're, you're playing a season in segments. So if you get a guy who you don't know if he's going to be up to snuff to throw out there in game one, if he's available to you, say game five or six of the year, that mid-year point, he's still got a lot of value on your roster for that one year, especially with the possibility of guys being sidelined for COVID, guys opting out in season. There, There's so many moving parts to the dynamics of the 2020 football season that are unique to it that you have to approach it in a very different manner than you would on a standard year. The only other name I want to go over regarding injuries was Hampson Nasruddin, the safety. Mike Norvell has been asked about him a couple times. Hasn't really given a whole lot of information in terms of what's limiting him or whatnot right now. I don't even, even think Mike has acknowledged that he's been limited other than he's still progressing through his rehab and they're excited about the season that he's had. Um, that's, that's what we know publicly right now. I do have indication that Hampson hasn't really participated in practice this preseason, at least recently. 
So I don't have a great timeline though on, on when he's expected to be back or not. And my belief is that it's the, the same leg, the same relatively to the injury that, that ended his season in November against Florida. I believe it was an ACL tear. Uh, got an indication that's still kind of related to that. That's about it. Do we have anything to add to that? No. I mean, okay. we, we just we're confident he didn't participate in the scrimmage. Yeah. All right, let's take a quick commercial break. On the other side, a little bit more optimistic news when it comes to the recruiting world. We'll be right back. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. All right, welcome back to On the Bench. We are wrapping up here with recruiting tidbits from Christopher Nee and Josh Newberg. The, the good news, <laughs> big sigh of relief. Alabama flipped a quarterback, but it was not not Luke Altmyer. Christopher? Yes, they flipped Jalen Milrow of Texas, who I believe was committed to Texas. Um, yes, he was a Texas yeah, was. quarterback commitment. So that, that hopefully satisfies their need for that class, for that position. And Nick Save and Steve Sarkeesian and his buddies can leave Luke alone and obviously can be very content that they're still going to get their guy. And it's not like Alabama was a sure thing to flip Luke right. Almeyer, but you just never want to have to deal with Alabama looming over a guy, especially late in the process when they're getting desperate at a certain position where they want a guy. You just don't want to have that situation in your life. And it sounds like that's done. And Luke, for his part, maintained consistently throughout that he's very solid to FSU. He hasn't shut the door on Alabama. He's still having communication with them. I believe Old Miss is another school he still does communicate with. But just because he communicates doesn't mean he's looking around or considering flipping. I went from before the news of the Alabama getting the quarterback commit about like feeling 60, 70% sure that Florida State would, would hold on to Luke to like 95% now. I feel world world's better that you don't have to deal with Alabama. All right, the other development, people freaking out a little bit on Twitter, surprisingly. Luther McCoy, the defensive tackle from the Jacksonville area, names a top five. Josh, was Florida State in the top five? They were not. Um, on let, July, let, let the Odell slander begin. On July 14th, the Creekside three-star defensive tackle named a top 10 that included Florida State, but about – a month and a couple of days later, he narrowed that list down to a top five and FSU did not make the cut. I know you want to fire up the, the Odell slander. However, I've been told for weeks now that Florida State likes the six foot four, 280 pound McCoy as an offensive lineman prospect, not necessarily fired up about him as a defensive tackle. Mm-hmm. Um, so unfortunately, I think this is a, a bigger blow to FSU's this was kind of somebody on the fringe that they they haven't gotten on campus yet. Um, they have offered. They have been recruiting. And they no, have they, been recruiting on campus. as a defensive tech. Go ahead. They got him on campus. Oh, they did get him on campus? Yeah, he came in right down. before. I believe it was – I want to say he came in early March, right before the pandemic began. I believe okay. it was his last visit before everything went sideways. So they wanted to see him more in the spring and, and you know, see how he moved and, and really start recruiting him in a, as, a, as an offensive line prospect. I don't know if that 
if they were recruiting him as an O-line prospect just yet, or still, you know, kind of letting him hear what he wants to hear about defensive tackle. But ultimately, I don't really think this is a loss as a defensive tackle prospect. Um, FSU still has a ton of work to do at that position before the, the 2021 class is over. But unfortunately, I think kind of this is a bigger blow to FSU's offensive line recruiting. Yeah, his body type's kind of like a Manny Rogers tail where he could easily play on either side of ball. And I think that leads to the position coaches at the two spots wanting him. I don't think Odell was in love with Luther McCoy like he was with Manny Rogers. Odell probably would have, you know, fought a man in the parking lot to keep Manny Rogers on his side of ball. I don't think mm-hmm. Luther McCoy invokes that same kind of emotional response. Um, you know, it, it is what it is. Uh, D-tackle has been a little bit of a weird spot for them this year. You know, they've got a couple big fish out there, like a Taiwan Malone, for example, is a guy that they're pursuing, but his recruitment is somewhat in the infancy. And a lot mm-hmm. of people think he probably ends up at like a Big Ten school like Ohio State. because And he is not in the campus. Right, but he's a baseball football kid. He's not in a rush. He has like a top, I think it's 14 right now. FSU's part of that. He does remain in regular communication with FSU. So there's some reason for a belief that FSU may have lasting power in that recruitment, but it's also very tough to forecast that recruitment as one that may turn out beneficial for FSU. Mm -hmm. So I I think the conversation comes down to a guy like Sean Bray Jackson, who FSU probably feels confident that they lead for over Bama. Um, you know, is he definitely going to be a DT? If he is, and that's a number at that position, it's one less worry. But he's a big body D end who may develop into a DT. It's not a sure thing where he definitely lines up. Josh Farmer, who we talked about on a podcast or two ago, because I caught up with him about his body transformation, he falls in that same boat. He's currently a strong side D end guy. But if he continues to progress physically as he has, he's probably going to slide inside. Therefore, another number there. So it's kind of tough. But as my buddy Josh Newberg loves to say, it's like robbing Peter to pay Paul. You know, if you're taking a DN at a position where you need DNs and you're moving them to D tackle, then you're you're still creating a problem at DN. So we shall see how it all plays out. Josh may have uttered those words like 30 minutes before the podcast started regarding another. And I was laughing because I just keep feeling that way about when, like when we talk about situations right now, whether it be the roster, whether it be recruiting, it's always like, well, if we just do this to make this work in in every situation, it's like, yeah, but you're, you're now creating more problems to, to find this answer. This is me spitballing a bit, but knowing Odell, how he's recruited in the past, how he deals with guys He's such an in-person guy. He likes getting him in. He mm-hmm. loves having him in camp. He loves having a visit with him. He likes going out to see him. All that's been wiped out by this. But, so I wonder if that's caused some, uh, I guess, consternation on how they're going about doing it at that position. If the hope is maybe doing it later in the calendar, presuming things do reopen after September, which is the point we're at right now but you're playing with a little bit of fire if that's what you're doing. And I'm not saying yeah. definitively that's what they're doing, but if you are doing that, you're just giving yourself a very short window to be effective, especially if the early signing period persists. The other yeah, side I, of that. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Chris. Or I'm, Josh, I, whatever you I'm not panicking yet with Odell. I mean, Chris and I have been around him long enough to know that just because we can't see the plan doesn't mean that he doesn't have a plan. Right. Um, obviously I'm and who am I, but I'm not going to give them a pass if they don't finish strong. I mean, they do need talent. I don't think numbers are the issue. Like if Odell has a couple um, marginal defensive tackles in his back pocket that he's going to pull out on, on signing day, that's not going to get it done. Um, But I also can't discount Odell down the stretch based on his, his pass. So I'm kind of just waiting to see how this transpires. Um, I'm interested to see if there's any new names that pop up between now and the start of the season. No visits, so it's kind of hard to gauge, you know, who's really involved in the defensive tackle board. But right now it seems like they need to add some names. Yeah, and I do think it's worth mentioning as like a footnote, the addition of Lovett at that position alleviated some of the pressure Mm -hmm. on this year's class at that position. Numbers-wise. Well, yeah, but I think Lovett's a pretty high-end talent. I think Lovett's a guy who I would put him on par down the road with what Corey Durden brings to that position right. now. But so yeah, you don't I have agree. the you don't have the Marv, and I get that you're looking for the marquee name mm-hmm. of a guy like a Marv that they Mar- Marv key Marv's. Name. Um, 
but I do think love it. You know, if, if it's love it and Cooper next year, that's a pretty nice starting tandem. And then you have some experience and depth under it. If a guy like Malcolm Ray comes along, you're, you're talking about having four to six solid ones currently on the roster. So you probably need two to make that position real solidified. Mm-hmm. But your point, and I do agree with it, is that at some point you want to get that marquee top level elite talent, you know, maybe not quite the level of a Marvin Wilson. Obviously you would love that, but let's be honest about the dynamics of what's going on with FSU and recruiting right now. You still want to get a guy who's a higher end talent like that. Luther McCoy wasn't that though, to go back to the beginning of what created. And Odell is a great evaluator of talent. Yes. He gets it. He knows who the elite guys are two years before anybody else does. That's why he was recruiting Eddie Goldman two years prior, Timmy Jernigan two or three years prior um, Derek Nottie, two years prior, Marvin Wilson, way more than two years prior. That's why I'm so concerned because now, like last year, you would have said, who fits the bill? Jalen Carter. Jalen Carter was a guy that he loved for two years prior. Yeah. Jalen Carter never really gave FSU a sniff after the spring. So that's where my concern is. Like now FSU doesn't have the brand. Odell doesn't have the ability call it whatever you want. But Odell's not recruiting these guys for two years. He's recruiting them for a couple months right now and, and hoping that it's the guy that he he loves. Yeah, and he's an That's adamant my be- concerns at. He's an adamant believer in his guy. Like Manny Rogers, for example. Manny mm-hmm. Rogers was ranked what about 25th, 30th at the position, if I recall yeah. correctly. He loved Manny. He thought Manny was one, two, three best D tackles he could pursue in that class. Jalen Carter's Probably the only guy I could matter-of-factly say I think he thought was a better talent. And I don't think the gap in his mind was very big for those two. So he is someone who usually latches on to the guy he truly wants. And he's won a lot of those, and he's lost some of those. Like a Marvin Austin comes to mind from many moons ago. Yep. Um, There's been a but, but he that's how he recruits. And I just I, I wonder if the dynamics of this year have caused an issue with that. And I think this staff as a whole has done a good job transitioning into dealing with the current climate and dealing with how it is. But it, it's still kind of hard when you've done it the same way for so long with such a high level of success to just pivot like that. And I think I, I do wonder if that's some of what's going on at D-Tackle. I also don't think the D-Tackle class is – insanely great at the top and FSU is not in a position where they're going to easily get in like a guy like Mason Smith in Louisiana is an elite talent and FSU's offered there and they actually have some ties with Ja'Kai Douglas and David Johnson's tie series and some other pieces mm-hmm. going on but they're just not in that party right now right. so it's kind of like that you guys get mad at me for not getting the podcast in under an hour that was good talk. Though. That was good. That's why I let it keep rolling. Let it keep rolling. I'm just saying we have a good time on this podcast and it's good content. The offensive line board I want to talk about really quickly because it seems like they're starting to explore other options and keep kicking the can down the road a little bit. Is that fair? Uh, to a degree. I mean, I still think the names that we've been talking about the most are still the names you need to know. Ruquan Buckley, he's moved up his decision some. FSU's definitely in that, but they haven't ever had him on campus. Did we think you know, that moving up him moving up the decision was a good thing for Florida State, given that he hasn't been on campus? That's what I guess I'm getting at. I don't there's think some, there's some development. I, I think it's fine because it wasn't like a drastic move up. He didn't go from I'm deciding real late to I'm deciding next week. It's mm-hmm. more in the middle. So I think it's just a matter of he kind of realizes the situation he's in with the ability to take visits probably isn't changing so it's now about information gathering and figuring things out it's kind of similar to what a lot of basketball prospects have done when they've realized that they're just going to have to deal with staffs virtually and make a decision from that um you know rod or there's an off the field situation that's going to probably impact that we believe so that's kind of a wait and see mode at this point so i'm going to take them off the board for now i'm going to remove them for the top 10 most wanted and and everything for now we'll see how everything plays out but I think he's a guy that we just kind of press pause on right now. Yeah. And then, you know, I reached out to a young man like Rayvon Crum, who's in Alabama. He's done a real Mm -hmm. good job reshaping his bodies at Pinson Valley. He's a guy that I think he's going to see an elevation in interest. I asked him about Coach Atkins. They've been communicating for some time. Um, He said Coach Atkins really want to come out and see him in person. 
to see the reshape body, see how he moves, essentially do an in-person early season evaluation, which you can also do off film, but you got to wait for film to happen instead of doing it mm-hmm. in person. Plus, film only tells a part of the story, not the entire story of seeing somebody in person. But the issue there is he told me that, and that, that comment from Atkins to him came before the dead period was extended through September. So now we're adding an extra month on when Atkins would be able to get out and see him. So at least an extra month. So that kind of causes an issue with the ability to evaluate some of these second level guys. Um, but I got yeah, another second level guy here that who? I know FSU has been in contact with um, Almari and Krim. He's yeah. in Adamsville, Alabama. Um, he's listed as an offensive tackle commitment to Duke. I'm not quite sure FSU loves him as a tackle, maybe more as a guard. He's 6'3, 285. Um, he did visit before the, the shutdown. Um, he told me that there's been no offer, but he is in, in contact with FSU. I think similar to what Chris is saying about Crum, I think Krim is kind of in that same boat. I was, not, I was 99% sure that Josh just spaced out and said the, si- the same guy Chris did a minute before. Oh, no, it's Krim and Crum. And they're both from Alabama, too. <laughs> and they're O-line right. recruiting with Atkins is a consistent theme. He develops a lot of relationships mm-hmm. with a lot of kids. He puts in work with a lot of people. He definitely wants to evaluate kids. This isn't just a, I'm taking a guy to fill a spot type deal. He he wants to find guys that he believes can help that position, and he wants to make sure he does the right thing with guys he takes. You know, even a guy like Chemo, that that offer took four to six weeks to truly develop from when they really got serious about talking to him, dealing with him, gathering information, gathering measurements, building more of a relationship to when that offer actually came for the commitment. And that was a kid that was – I don't want to call him a slam dunk, but the probability of him ending up at FSU is pretty high in comparison to a lot of kids they deal with. So that, I think that's just a good kind of benchmark of what they're trying to accomplish at that position, yeah. how they're going about doing it. It'll be interesting to see if FSU does end up pursuing Almari and Krim. Um, you do know who he's committed to, right? Duke. Greg Fry. Got Offensive it. line coach Greg Fry. Hmm. Mm-hmm. storylines mm. anyway what else we got oh you want me to wrap up a uh, wide receiver recruiting? Uh, real quick terry and arnold had a little development in his recruitment chris yeah he dropped last night that he intends to drop a shorter list here soon uh in the past and talking to him and his mother and they've maintained this consistently when speaking to myself and others within our network they're in no rush um and he had told me when i i sat down with him I think it was in June. It was one of the few weeks that things were really kind of open here for kids to work out. I went over to the school, met up with him, talked to him for a while. At that point, he was telling me he was kind of working towards like a top 10-ish, top 8-ish. You know, he wanted something more manageable with schools he knew was definitely going to be in it. Some of those I recall him talking about that day were Alabama, Florida, Florida State, Georgia, um, there were certainly some Baylor's a school that's been real aggressive with him. I don't know if they'll make the cut, but I know they've been super involved with him. Uh, you know, I don't, he's not in any kind of rush. Like that's the thing with him is he probably is going to take this full term, whether that's early enrollment or not, it will either be December or February, but he, he has no interest in rushing a decision. You know, I still think the top of that pecking order is pretty similar. Alabama, Florida, Georgia are definitely three that I know are in there. FSU's kind of hanging around, but there's things he wants to see from the Seminoles before he's kind of willing to put them in a category with some schools that would be considered elite right now, or at least recruiting at a higher level than Florida State. Okay, Joshua, would you like to take us home with the wide receiver board? Let's go. On Saturday morning, Bradenton, Florida, IMG three-star wide receiver Malik McLean committed to the Seminoles. We talked about that on the podcast already. Um, He joins Blythewood, South Carolina three-star Joshua Burrell as the team's two wide receiver commitments. And I've done some research. Florida State definitely wants to sign one more. And I think after that, they're going to shut it down. And there's really just one name for FSU fans to focus on right now, and that is New Orleans Edna Carr four-star Destin Pazon. Um, he's a six-foot, 200-pound wide receiver that we've talked about really since his visit to FSU back in March. Um, he made it to FSU before the shutdown, came out of there speaking very highly of the Seminoles. Um, I think our website 
put crystal ball picks in, at least me and Chris did. Brendan usually waits to see what the trend is before he makes his picks. Not a real trendsetter like the rest of us. But Paison did not announce a commitment and went silent for seven months. That was until late July when he popped up in Tallahassee again. This time it was for an unofficial visit. Even during the shutdown, he still made his way to Tallahassee with a couple of high school coaches. Um, that was about three or four weeks ago now. That was back in, in July. There was rumors that he was going to commit to FSU. He did not. Uh, multiple attempts from our site, uh, from the great Steve Wiltfong, from others. Nobody has been able to reach Paison. Uh, he hasn't gone public on the record with anybody, you know, 24-7 or otherwise. But all the crystal ball shows is FSU. Um, 14 predictions, that's a lot for the crystal ball. All in FSU's favor. Uh, Alabama, Florida, LSU, and Oklahoma are also involved. Still no decision date, but I am confident that whenever Paison does commit, I do feel like it'll be FSU. Um, if they land him, when they land him, they shut down they shut down wide receiver recruiting. If there was another name to watch right now, it'd be McKinney three-star receiver J.J. Henry. He's more of a slot guy, about 5'10", 165, but he is electric. Um, we'll see what happens with him. I think FSU would like to find room in the class form, but he's not exactly a need if FSU lands pays on. So we'll see how that plays out. I did enjoy, I think Sonona asked the other day, when is that kid deciding Josh Code's decision day? <laughs> so that's where we're at. Yeah, I, I, group, call, I call Desson Pays on like a little ahead of himself sometimes. Four times, four times a week at the exact same time each of those days. And I'm just going to do that till the time he actually picks up. And I'm just going to be so shell-shocked he picked up that I'm going to be like incapable of doing the interview. My yeah. name has been slandered so much in the past minute. If you think about all the juicy tidbits I've dropped in that group th thread that have been accurate and ahead of the game in the last 48 hours, you know, but no one says, Brendan, good job. Brendan, you do a great job. You, you know I say that all the time. You also dropped a 12-day-out spaghetti forecast of a hurricane <laughs> and like, thought that that was going to get us worked up like it got you worked up. It was coming right for Tallahassee in one of the models. We it's all like know days out. We all know that's going to happen like five days before the season opener. <laughs> that's how it always works. That's all I'm saying. You know what? Right. I'm ending the podcast. We're done. This is it. The last episode of On the Bench ever. Oh, divorces are so ugly. Five star reviews though, please. We'll be back later this week. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.